The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Welcome to episode 3 of the Offspin, the Spin-Off's Cricket World Cup podcast brought to you by Coffee Supreme. Uh, now apologies if I'm sounding a little bit scratchy, I'm a bit sick, but my co-host today, Simon, if he sounds a little bit scratchy today, it will be because he has been up all night watching the Black Caps easing us into the morning uh, with a bit of a messy chase of 244. How are you, Simon? Oh, after watching that game, staying up all night and um, drinking a whole plunger of coffee at 5am, I'm sort of a bit shaky, a bit of anxiety, but no, I feel good. We won. Um, we're top of the table. Uh, it wasn't convincing, but it, we got the points and it's exciting. The World Cup is alive. The last time we spoke to you, it was, there'd been a few hidings and since then it's been, it's been really exciting. And we're also joined by an actual cricketer today. So I'm just going to... I'm an actual cricketer. I'm ranked the 11,000th best LMS bowler in the world. Yeah, and I once took two wickets in an over, so I guess we're both up there. But um, we, we uh, have someone who has played uh, for quite a few teams. He's played for the Auckland Aces, Lancashire, Middlesex... Uh, the Lahore Qalandas, he's played in the Caribbean, he's played for the ICC World Eleven, and uh, the Black Caps as well. Uh, welcome Mitchell McLennigan. Cheers guys, thanks, pleasure to be here. Um, just quickly, out of all of those teams uh, that I just listed there, uh, one of the themes that we've got going on this podcast is uniforms. Out of all of them, which one had the best uniform to wear? I'm a sucker for black. Most of my social attires uh, are black, so definitely the black caps. Um, I like the last World Cup kit with the with the blue in it. Mm. Um, obviously, special memories from that as well. But then probably Mumbai, you know, right. just the bling of the IPL with all the gold everywhere and and flashing all the cash <laughs> that the owners have got. So uh, you know, that's pretty feel pretty special on that. And that blue and gold uniform now is probably one of the most uh, recognisable non-international teams around the world, which is. And it must be pretty cool playing for that team. Crazy, mate. Absolutely crazy. Just to obviously play for that team, but then get to mingle with like the owners who uh, are that wealthy. I think they they profit like fourteen million dollars US a day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their house is worth two point four billion dollars. It's oh, a skyscraper yeah. in the yeah. middle of Mumbai, so just casually make a bit of cash. What about what about mingling with the Indian public? How sort of protected are you? 
from that very enthusiastic cricket fan base because I was in um, India to watch the Black Caps play and I wore um, my Black Caps shirt out to a, a restaurant and I had a line of people who I was signing autographs for because I didn't have the heart to tell them that I wasn't part of the team. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I hope, who did you I pretend should, to be? I, I, I'm not sure who they thought I was. Um, Maybe... Um, <laughs> Roger Toos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <Ouch>. that rotund. <laughs> uh, like in terms of in terms of that, this year was a little bit different. Um, usually, when there's an election in India, they move the tournament out of the country because mm. it's um, quite dangerous. Mm. Um, so we had a lot of security around this this year. So um, to and from games, uh, you didn't really have any interaction. Um, Every now and again, you'll go walk to the local. There was like a nice little crepe place around the corner from us, and you'll get stopped by people going out for work lunches and stuff like that, which is all good, except for the fact that they like love running up behind you and just grabbing you by by your elbow. <laughs> There's no like no other way of getting your attention apparently, is other yeah. than grab you by the elbow and That's throw a, a camera much. in your face. That's a little bit much. I I've been to India twice. Once before the sort of mass proliferation of um, the camera phone. And then after, selfie, selfie is just changed the way that Indians, um, you know, interact with uh, interesting sort of foreigners. It's it's crazy the selfie. Culture. Oh yeah, one hundred. We had the same thing. We were in Chennai, um, and me and my partner, she was over for a couple of weeks, and we went out to like a, a few temples out the back of Chennai. And obviously, a lot of locals from inland come to the temples who had never really been to the city, and they were literally coming up to us, not knowing that I was a cricketer or anything like that, just literally just wanting to take selfies with us because we were white. So I found that like a classic, classic experience, <laughs> like a couple of couple of local Indian ladies walking past and, and staring at the missus. And yeah. it's the first time they kind of seen someone uh, of, of our colour not on TV. Well, it's almost like you could go up to them and be like, I wanted to take a photo with you, you know, and turn it around. Well, we did that at one point, um, you know, a couple of, yeah, because it started getting a bit much um, <laughs> and just make it a bit fun of it. But, uh, you know, it's a fantastic um, country to go and tour. And mm. every time you go back, uh, we always try and, my partner's a teacher, and we always try and go into the schools and, and do a bit of work in the schools, a bit of voluntary stuff. So it's, it's a nice eye-opener and pretty grateful of what you've got back here in New Zealand. Mm, yeah, indeed. Well, uh, so one of the teams that I didn't mention in that preamble was the Mumbai Indians, and you've actually just come off winning the IPL, so that's you know that's quite good. Congratulations! Oh I yeah, don't. yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play, play that down. No, no, mate. It's um, I think AB de Villiers summed it up pretty well halfway through the tournament where they uh, RCB weren't winning any games. He just said, "This is the hardest comp in the world, mm. bar like mm. harder than harder to win than World Cup." Although it sounds outrageous that he's making those kind of calls when they seem to choke every time they get close to a <laughs> yeah. semi-final. Um, oh, whenever they get close to the World Cup now. Yeah. 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 I know, what gag, a shocking gag, start. Gag, gag they choke in the warm-up games as well? Can you call it that? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they've been pretty terrible. Yeah. And, uh, they've got a great side as well. Mm. Um, no excuses. So mm. They might be on the first plane home. But yeah, with um, I mean, with the IPL stuff, I, I want to get into a little bit with, you know, what your job in that Mumbai team was. Um, because looking at... Uh, you know, looking at the final game, there's a moment that I want to pick out, and it was about the 15th over. Uh, your opposition uh, batsman, Dwayne Bravo, was looking to accelerate, and you bowled three dot balls in a row to him. Now, I mean, 
that's not necessarily the bowler that a lot of Black Caps fans would remember you as, as someone who bowls very, very tight, uh, goes for a low economy rate. People kind of think of you as a wicket taker. So did your did your role in that team change a lot? Um, probably this year, probably more so than most, because I didn't play a lot of the games. And obviously one of the reasons is, um, you know, when I do get left out is um, teams are concerned about economy rates. So this last year I've really been working really hard on if I'm not taking wickets um, that I've got options to to really kind of dry up the runs and mm. and the last two games and and that over you're talking about is just knowing working with a skipper giving them as much information about me the players I'm playing against who I feel really confident against that I can get dot balls and also get out um, so just kind of probably preparing a little bit better I've, I've always had the attitude of like I don't really care too much about my figures like I'll go in and do whatever job needs to be done for the team at that time so a lot of the time I, I would sacrifice like personal performance for you know uh, for for stats uh, uh, I guess and stats right are deceptive as well stats um, don't necessarily measure your true contribution to a game well yeah I mean it's interesting I can only speak like from personal experience and stuff like that but I guess when I went to the Big Bash uh, a year ago um, they did like a fielding uh, like run saving um, uh, chart and ended up topping that chart because of the amount of runs of save on the boundary diving mm. uh, cutting off twos getting off the boundary quick and it's it's one stat in cricket that's not um, on a, from a bowler's point of view you only get done on your economy rate mm. so I might save six to eight runs a game but I'm giving one run each over more than a bowler than an, than another bowler, but I'm saving the team five runs effectively. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's just something that's not looked at much with these tournaments, and a lot of times you can get a lot of T20 teams in these tournaments with poor fielders just because they've done on stats, and yeah. they wonder why they yeah. lose. Well, it's an interesting one in a way. We were talking off air before about that sort of money ball context of of player auctions and stuff like that. I mean, is is fielding ever taken into account at a at a sort of you know, a standard level fielder, uh, does, do people look at that as opposed to just people who are, you know, just outstanding fielders, as it were? Uh, yeah, I, I think probably not as much just in terms of, um, I think most teams go into and go, okay, there's a couple of guys who can't field on my team. Mm. Um, so there's two positions where you can have guys who can't field generally. Um, I think it's getting a little bit harder to hide people. You can have short third man or short fine leg. Mm. So if you've got but two, now that people ramp and scoop and stuff, it's and that's what I, that's you know, now sometimes guys try and beat those guys because they know that's the worst fielder in the team. Um, so is it becoming more important to be a good fielder? Yes, I agree. Our team's catching up on it um, and thinking of how that can affect the results at the end of the day. No, I don't think they are. So the money ball theory in terms of stats like bowling, batting, mm. um, if they keep on pushing that, I think they'll still go back to a drawing board and wonder why they lose because I think you've got to have, be competent at two, at least two of the three facets. Mm. That's really interesting because in two of the games that you'd call upsets in the World Cup uh, this week, you saw um, Asian teams that would traditionally be considered less good at fielding against two of the best fielding sides in the world win because they were better at, in the field. Pakistan and Bangladesh were better than um, both England and South Africa, respectively. Yeah. And that was the, that defined those games. There was small margins of victory, and that was 
basically because uh, one team saved more runs in the field. Well, growing up in, in New Zealand and playing your early years in New Zealand, that that's always been quite a big part of New Zealand's cricketing culture, right? That that sense of fielding like hell and and really pushing yourself in that area to compensate for, you know, let's be honest, a lack of relative depth in New Zealand cricket compared to other big countries and uh, potentially... Uh, fewer stars and all of that. I mean, has that been something that the rest of the world is now uh, making just as much of a focus as we traditionally have? Yeah, definitely. A massive shift in the probably last three or four years, particularly in the subcontinent teams, um, particularly with them all having their own leagues now. Mm. Um, so there's a lot more younger players being exposed to um, better stadiums, better facilities mm. uh, for them to train and play on. Uh, I mean, I, when I did the PSL uh, last year or the year before there was one guy who showed me uh, a fast bowler uh, showed me his cricket pitch and it literally was in the middle of a forest on rocks like it was just a <laughs> cricket pitch between that and that was, not was diving like, on that are you? And he literally had this he literally had this bent run up and then he's and then I was like man that run up's pretty whack and then like he showed me this picture and I was like ah oh, no now I know why because he had to run around that tree in the middle <laughs> of the field so like the conditions that these guys grow up playing they're never going to dive um, yep, so yep. once they get into these tournaments and now there's more of them, there's more money getting pushed into this high performance, um, they're getting them in younger in academies, um, they're definitely getting better. Mm. Um, so I, I'd imagine it's, they're only going to get better as they go on and that's probably why the, the bridge in the field is obviously starting to narrow. Mm. Well, uh, So looking at, uh, at the IPL, one of the things that I often think about when it comes to New Zealanders looking at the IPL I don't feel like we quite pay enough attention to it, as it were, in this country, given that there's quite a few New Zealanders playing in it. I mean, what's what's your sense of that? Do you do you think it's, I mean, not to put you on the spot or anything like that, but have people come up to you in the street or anything and said, hey, I heard you won the IPL the other day, or anything like that? I no, mean, the beauty of being a New Zealander is that no one knows who, who I am at all, which is bloody great. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't give bothered at all it's, it's fantastic it's definitely not like being in india um but look, do, we, I, do we sleep on it a bit generally do we not really recognize well, i think we literally sleep on it. i just don't think it's on a, a great time uh, uh, of 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 the night for us um as the coverage is as good as it possibly should be um you know there's they've got some great shows on there at the moment like with um, select uh, star sports have got a, a great dugout show mm. you know to do a replay that showed the dugout which has got a lot more information they're getting like um, Brett Lee, obviously Brendan McCullum, Scott Torres, Steve Jones, all these guys doing some great analysis. Mm. Kumar Sangakaro doing some great analysis on the game. If they were showing that in New Zealand, even as a replay, I think people would be more interested in it. Um, look, I, I think it's one of those ones. I, look, I personally, I don't know whether it's, I don't understand the media very well. Um, oh, neither do we. I, I think, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, it's like a, um, those kind of tournaments and promoting players who who are playing in those tournaments and doing well in those tournaments um, is seen as a negative towards like our national game um, and trying to prom and promoting effectively pr promoting people to go and play in those try and play in those tournaments. Mm. I don't know what gets said behind do closed doors with that kind of stuff. You know, I don't know. You can only speculate. Um, from a player's point of view. But um, my point around that kind of stuff is that I think T20 cricket is not going anywhere. 
I think the the best thing is is that if there's guys who aren't playing for New Zealand, um, who are not in that starting team, if they're sitting at home and playing domestic cricket all the time, they're going to play 10 T20s. Mm. Uh, and they're going to play against domestic cricketers. We don't get good overseas players. They've got no one to play against who's better than them or to learn from. Mm. So that's why the bridge going into international cricket is so great. Um, I think when you go and play these tournaments, you play against the best consistently. You're playing 50, 60 games a year yeah. instead of 10. Yeah. You get better. You learn off the best. And guys are willing to give you feedback in those environments as well. So it's only a good way to accelerate guys' learnings and then when something does happen to someone in the starting lineup at New Zealand, no, they're ready to go. It's interesting thinking about um, accelerating into that New Zealand lineup. Watching the World Cup, do you at all get jealous? Do you feel um, disappointed that you're not there? Do you ever regret that decision? Um, look, I love playing for my country, and when, when I made the decision to play the Big Bash, um, part of my um, conversations with High Performance New Zealand was that I would still be available for all formats. I was ranked really highly in the T20s. Um, I was ranked effectively number three in the in the rankings, or number mm. three or four at that time um, in our national. And then, so and it was almost done in a way with Hess and High Performance guys that um, it was they were happy for me to go and do it as long as I was still available for those tournaments and just let them know. Um, when I was available. Now, look, for whatever reason, that didn't eventuate. Mm. Um, so I think that's probably... I don't... Have you have you played for New Zealand since no, that decision? No, I haven't. And, look, yeah, I, s I still feel really, really good about where my game is. And um, it's probably better than it has been for a long time. Mm. Um, fitter, uh, faster, more accurate, like you were alluding to before. Um, I've got more skills. I've learned so much still. I still think I've got a lot to offer. So it's just an interesting position because I, mm. you don't want to go to a player who's doing this stuff. But at the same time, I've got better. Mm. Um, uh, other guys who are doing it now, like Anton Devisic and stuff, they're getting better. They're learning more. They're learning more in different conditions. Um, so, yeah, watch this space. I don't think it's I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, which is disappointing. But I'm happy to kind of be the person who's kind of forging that pathway for guys to go and get different experiences and different conditions and become better players and then come back and apply their services to New Zealand when they're required. Well, there's a, a T20 World Cup coming up next year, I believe. Is that is that something that you'd consider, I don't know, if recommitting or anything like that would be the right word or anything like that? But is that is that something that you would uh, potentially look at playing the whole summer in New Zealand and trying to force your way back into into yeah. contention for so that. So I did that last year um, for um, for the one days mm. to try and um, get in contention for this World Cup and and for any T Twenty games that were going on. I think it was well up there in the wicket taking for both of those formats. Um, this year, it's uh, just talking about it now. Um, when Hess left as coach, we had a conversation just before he resigned. Um, so when we had the conversation, I don't think he was expecting to resign. He was trying to find a way of um, getting me back into the fold for the T20s mm. um, in preparation for that T20 World Cup. Uh, I haven't had a conversation about getting involved again since Gary's been involved. Mm. Um, it's been pretty limited, the communication. So 
I'm just gonna do do what I'm doing at the moment, work real hard, and and I'm sure it's one of those scenarios that maybe if guys uh, they they'll probably try a lot of young guys before the World Cup, which is understandable. They want to know what guys can do, and then if they can't do the job, I guess uh, probably that reliable older statesman <laughs> waiting in the wings to come in and save the day I guess well, well one thing I really respect um, is that despite the fact you're not there there's no resentment at all your social media has been full of um, encouragement and, and enthusiasm and, and optimism for the team um, and you know you've got quite high hopes for them right yeah look I've got some very good friends in that team um, and and I'm very supportive of particularly guys I played a lot of cricket with um, so like Colin Munro and and Martin Guptill and, and Lockie Ferguson, I, I talk to those guys quite regularly about where their game's at, and you know, I just trying to trying to help them in terms of, um, you know, feeling good about um, external pressures and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm excited about the position we're in this year. I think our draws really good. Mm. Um, we play uh, effectively the first three the three minnows straight up, which can get you off to a uh, a great start. It's a bit brutal. I'm, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that as a segue because <laughs> I I think this tournament has finally signalled, and I think it's probably been true for a while, but it's been a true signal of Bangladesh's transition from minnow. And I actually really feel um, sorry for their fans for where they've transitioned to. They've transitioned to the place where New Zealand used to occupy, perennial sort of underachievers. Not a minnow. Not an easy beat but never doing quite as well as uh, you should. And that leads to deep disappointment rather than mm. huge uh, excitement when you actually do beat in England like in the last World Cup or a South Africa in uh, the 1999 World Cup. So my heart is with you, Bangladesh fans. You've got about uh, <laughs> 20 years of perpetual disappointment and underachievement. Yeah. But um, that w it was... It was a tough game today, and Bangladesh are a it's really a bit good. Of an ugly game, to be honest. They're a re no, but it was a game of a game of two halves, to use a sporting cliche. We bowled really well, and we fielded really, really well, and that was um, that was really encouraging. Uh, it was clinical. Uh, we saved a lot of runs in the field, took some good catches. Mitchell Santner, uh, to me, was Ross Taylor was technically the man of the match, but Mitchell Santner bowled incredibly well. It looked like Daniel Vittori. Um, just the accuracy and the ways that he was able to limit runs and the fact that he's a tall left armour. And um, we kept taking wickets. Like Bangladesh would started well and then would take a wicket. They'd claw their way back and would take a wicket. And that, um, as we saw in the second innings, is a really powerful thing to do. It's taking wickets creates a lot of pressure. Well, t I mean, speaking of that pressure, I'm not sure how high in the batting order you, you've made it. Uh, maybe nine or, or thereabouts? Oh, Up to so nine? I actually batted four for Mumbai. Oh, so well, sorry, okay. Sorry, oh, sorry. yeah. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a pinch hitter, there you go. No, fair it's enough. Only fair once, enough. though, so. Yeah. But, I mean, coming in as a, if you if you come in as a pinch hitter in the middle of a collapse, like we saw um, we saw an innings from Colin de Gronholm today, which I thought was um, just hideous, basically. I mean, he found a way to get some runs, but, God, it, it looked awful. Uh, and and I suppose it, it spoke to a little bit of maybe a mindset thing in a way. If you're if you're coming in and your job is to smack the crap out of the ball, nine games out of ten that you're batting, 
what what does it feel like to come in in a situation where things are actually potentially about to all go tits up? I mean, how how do you how do you manage yeah, that? Look, I, I wonder if it's one of those situations where they potentially should have like rejigged that order. Um, just looking at it, um, the way Colin plays is that he's going to play pretty much one way, mm. and and potentially in this lineup he could have gone in ahead of Jimmy Neesham and given him that license. Well, you know you're going to play this way. Jimmy Neesham has scored test hundreds, scored back-to-back test hundreds. Yep. Should have the mental application and the technique to be able to steer an innings if it does get tight with a Mitchell Satner towards the end. It, you just kind of got to understand the players at that point of time and, and Dutchie might have come in and, and been a better option because he's always going to try and finish the game quickly and take the pressure off so it doesn't get to that point so he's not in that situation. Mm. So it might have just been a, a maybe a tactical tweak where you might have got the best out of him um, rather than, well, obviously when he's coming in after Jimmy Neesham uh, and he plays the way he plays, it can look reckless um, because you've only got Mitchell Satner and then you've got like two... Well, probably. Well, Matt Henry's um, better than a, a tailender. Uh, yeah. I think he, he can hold yeah. a, ba- a bat, but well, in terms of he under pressure, on two legs when he bats, as opposed to some of the other tailenders. <laughs> yeah, well, so Bolte literally just stands on one with <laughs> yeah. his flamingo. Trent Trent <laughs> didn't have to bat, which was relieving. Um, yeah, extremely relieving. Uh, but what does it feel like when you're a number ten? You're a fast bowler. There's 15 runs to go, heaps of balls, but a whole lot of pressure. That that do you, do you live for that or is that the last thing you want to be doing well, as a number? The last 10? thing you want to be doing, particularly if you bowl for fifty overs, like you're stiff, you've sat down for a couple of hours, expecting you've taken your boots off, you know, got your jandals on, sitting up at the oval watching and expecting Ross and Kane to to bring it home, and then all of a sudden, bang, 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 you're rushing, you start to panic, putting your stuff on, you can't find your box, <laughs> everything's <laughs> a bit of a shambles and. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not it's not one of those things. I think in the international scenario, you, you get a lot more time in the nets to be able to train. Um, so you're not as nervous, but when it comes to anything else, like as a bowler, as you know, you don't get the time in the nets. No no batsman want to bowl to you or anything like that, so you're underprepared anyway and expected yeah. to still win the game. Speaking of Ross and Kane, uh, both of them played quite well, uh, Ross especially. Um, Ross with his new eyes is just incredible. But... They kept trying to run each other out again. Um, from someone who's been around the two of them and, and been really close uh, to them in, in an international cricket context, what is it about their running between the wickets that seems so difficult? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this on the, on the way in. Um, and I can only put it down to, there's a, I reckon the worst runners in the world are the best batsmen and I reckon they're the best batsmen in the world because they're in their own little world Mm. if that makes sense they're always constantly just in their own little bubble and there's probably those moments where they're still in their bubble and not concentrating on the game as much or they're thinking about something else or uh, you know kind of just and then I think in this situation you've got two guys who are our best batsmen um who are quite quite often in their own bubble, and that's why they're so successful. <laughs> I think I just I just don't think two guys are probably just in the zone so much go well go well running between the wickets. Yeah. 
That, that's probably actually the best explanation I've ever heard for it. I mean, I was going to suggest maybe they go and do some couples counselling or something like that. <laughs> if they've got unresolved passive-aggressive issues between them or something. But that that's probably a more realistic explanation, really. <laughs> they, no, they're very close. And it was it was cool to see Ross have a really significant role um, in the leadership group and in the field today. But And they work really well as a pair when captaining. Um, but it's just... it's. It's scary watching them back together. It's, uh, it, you know, that middle over period that can get a little bit boring. When they're batting together, it definitely still stays uh, exciting. Mm. So uh, looking ahead in the tournament, uh, next game's against Afghanistan. Should we talk briefly about Afghanistan versus Sri Lanka? Because, man, that game was, was fun in a, a kind of car crash sort of way. Well, I've been staying up for as many games as I can. I actually, um, in... In my wedding vows, uh, I promised my wife to love her more than I love cricket. Uh, but once every four years, I sort of uh, breach those vows and fully invest myself in the World Cup. And I've done, courtesy of uh, Coffee Supreme, have been able to stay awake for a lot of the games. But when Sri Lanka were batting really, really well and sort of looked like they'd wrestled the game completely away from Afghanistan in the first 10 overs I just I decided that unfortunately this wasn't going to be the day for Afghanistan to get their big world cup scalp and went to bed and then I woke up and the game was still going and Sri Lanka had only scored 200 and Afghanistan was sort of limping their way towards it it was it was a glorious shambles um mm. reminded me of this podcast uh <laughs> um but it, 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 was, it was fun to watch, but it was also very sad because I did want Afghanistan to win so much because it is such an exciting tournament for them. Um, but wow, strangely captivating, like watching yes. someone trip over. <laughs> uh, what, what's been the game of the tournament so far for you? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess I like, I, for me personally, I enjoyed watching us destroy Sri Lanka. <laughs> so, so, you know, you know uh, no sense of fair play or anything like nah. that. Just a crushing. Well, hundred percent. Because I, mean, I think bowlers game. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, in the first innings, it was. Yeah, game. yeah. Well, yeah. No, that, I mean, that was that was exciting. I thought that really kind of set the tone for our tournament. I think that is the team, Sri Lanka. Um, rightly or wrongly, I think that's the team that all opposition, uh, Afghanistan, would have been hoping to beat. Um, Every opposition is going, well, we need to pick up a, a, a win against these and just hope it doesn't rain mm. uh, against Sri Lanka. So it was nice to dominate them like that and obviously get the net run rate up against them as well. Yeah, what was it, five points something or after that? Yeah, how good. So, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose as well, from a bowler's point of view, uh, you know, you want to get back into the shed early. You want to finish quickly. You don't want to have yeah. to bat. You want to just I just want to keep those overs efficient. in the legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can uh, I can I talk about my favourite game of the tournament? Oh, so far? please do. Thanks, Alex. Um, it was the Pakistan upset of England. Um, to me, what was so cool about it was the return of Wahab Riaz. Uh, he bowled for me the most captivating spell I've ever seen uh, in international cricket in the quarterfinal against Australia in the 2015 tournament where he got Warner out, he got Smith out, and then he humiliated Shane Watson. And unfortunately, Rahat uh, let, let him down and dropped that catch at fine leg. Um, but he's been out of the team um, sort of since then. And he only returned to the squad after Pakistan performed so badly in the lead-up series against England. 
and there was this amazing um, article on Crick Info, uh, an interview with Wahab, where he's talked about, I'll just quote the piece, he said, I even had dreams I was meeting Mickey Arthur and Safaraz Ahmed, and sometimes they would pick me and reject me other times. Around 10 days ago, I had a dream that Inzi, Inzamamul Haq, the chief selector, gave me a call and told me that I'd been selected and this was my last chance. And then that was exactly how it happened when I, got, when I was called and told about the decision. It is nothing less than make or break for a player who gets an opportunity to play in the World Cup. So it's, you know, I, I dream about cricket too, you know, so it's, uh, it's really cool to see someone, someone like Wahab get a, <laughs> get a second chance. So that's why my, cricket no, my, cr- my cricket dreams are really funny. What happens is I'm playing for the Black Caps. It happens with uh, rugby and NBA basketball as well. But I'm just me. I'm still just with my own uh, current physical uh, gifts and they're sort of, they're very inadequate uh, for the tournament that I get to play in. So I'm, I'm playing international cricket, NBA basketball and international rugby, but just me and I always get embarrassed. <laughs> I need Brilliant. those dreams to Brilliant. stop happening. Brilliant. <laughs> um, do some training in your dreams. <laughs> yeah. The other game, I'd actually forgotten India was playing at this World Cup um, because they've only just started and they looked uh, absolutely serene and just sort of wandering home against South Africa, never in any doubt. Uh, how, uh, from a New Zealand fan point of view, how concerning is that to see them just just absolutely crush South Africa like that? I think it's it's not not really concerning because um, now South Africa's had three losses, and mm. I think I think in tournament play, uh, when teams get on a, a losing streak, they stay on losing streaks. You can't don't never seem to be able to find the way out of that that dark pit. So um, you know when we come up against South Africa, it's going to be hopefully another two points. Which at, at the mm. start of the tournament we would have been saying or playing against South Africa. On short boundaries, decent wickets, like they're going to be a really tough side to play. So I think that's good for us in that point of view. I think we've had recent success against uh, India. Um, a lot of the guys know the players very well, like he's alluded to the IPL. Most of yeah. them have played against them. Planning will probably be a bit easier against them. They're so well, well known. Um, so I'd imagine uh, that'll be a key match for us as well. But not too concerned. I think they're very top-heavy Um uh, if you can get Dhoni and Hardik Pandya in early mm. um, and, and fire all your bullets at those two, I think they've got a long tail. Um, so I think it'll just be all-out attack against the Indian side. And do, do you know um, Bumrah? Because, wow, that is Yeah, a, very, very well. He, he's, I've never seen a bowler just burst onto the scene and do as much damage as he is. It's incredible. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a cool dude, actually. He's like... Um, very chilled out. Um, comes from a, a nice family. Not, doesn't come from a lot of money, so he's got that. Um, he's got that Rohit Sharma about him. So very down to earth. Mm. Um, very easy to approach and talk and, and have a joke and a laugh with. Um, not up on a pedestal. Um, his ability purely is just from hard work. Like he works harder than anyone I've ever seen. So. In terms of the amount he can bowl, I think he bowls more overs than anyone at training. He works harder, works on his yorkers all the time. Um, I think as well that probably comes down to his half trot in, like he pretty much walks half the run up, and his last five paces are, are, are his run up. So he can bowl a lot more overs than than the rest of it, the rest of us. But um, what he, his skills are 
outstanding. And in my opinion, he's the number one bowler in the world at the moment. Oh, yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. Definitely. Well, actually, uh, there's one there's one contender potentially for that job or role, and and that's um that's Rashid Khan from Afghanistan. Who, I mean, we uh, we're in New Zealand. We like you know green pitches that seam around and a bit of cloud for swing, and we don't really understand leg spin all that well here so why exactly is it that Rashid Khan is so good what is it that he's doing that that makes him so impressive uh, probably a few things I think he's I think one I think you've got to draw the different um, difference between one day cricket and T20 cricket I think he's, he's a better he's T20 the best. like him and Boomerah would be up there with my two best in T20 cricket right. I think in one day cricket you don't have to score off Rashid Khan all the, all the time so you can sit on them. You don't have to play aggressive shots. I think leg spinners get brought into the game when you're playing aggressive shots mm. and you don't know which way the ball's moving. Uh, so I, he's probably going to be a little less effective um, in these conditions unless the other bowlers are bowling bowling well. They'll just sit on him as the best bowler. Why is he so effective in the other formats and why is he so good? Uh, he runs, generally when we look at leg spin, um, you know, we, we quickly jump to Shane Warne, um, people like Stuart McGill, guys, guys like that, who walked in, looped the ball, mm. you know, uh, didn't have any kind of presence to the crease. Um, Rashid Khan gets to the crease fast. It's like a little, it's like a medium pace, like run up. And, and with, with a fast run up comes a fast action. Uh, faster arm speed means it's harder to pick up and see the hand mm. um, and he's a little bit shorter he uses the depth of the crease as well so a lot of the time you'll see guys go back to a ball from Rashid um, that he's and get hit in front because the ball stayed low or well, generally like you don't get to see it as much as on TV in the replays they don't really pay too much attention but he will bowl balls from the stumps he'll bowl balls from mid crease he'll bowl balls from the crease so he's varying his pace with the same action bowling the same speed just by where he's um, landed in the crease, um, which seems to get a lot of people in, in a lot of trouble. So he's, a, he's very wily in terms of the way he goes about um, setting guys up. Do you believe that he's actually 20 years old? No chance. <laughs> he looks no about chance. 45. No. You know? <laughs> no, there's rumours he's fostered a village of children. <laughs> no, no that's, that's, that's not true. But yeah. <laughs> um, No, no, he's... We, um, no, we even to edit out defamation of Simon, <laughs> Simon Dool on the last podcast. So so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we can leave that in. Um, we're, we're pretty much out of time here now, but well, just Well, you quickly. were up at four o'clock um, because you were running some F45 gyms. Yep. So I wanted to use your expertise on that part of the world and ask you about who has the best rig in um, international cricket. Ooh. I, Trent, Trent Bolt would say him. Trent Bolt looks like a match there. He, he's got yeah, his dad bod's really starting to come through since he's had his kid. Um, uh, he's just he's just confident about his rig. I don't know whether it's a, a joking way or not. Um, <laughs> who's got the best rig? Um, I feel like... Faf would have a would be would be ripped. Faf Faf is pretty stacked, um, and boy, won't he let you know about it? Um, he uh, and if and if he doesn't tell you, I think uh, you can tell by how tight his uh, clothing is. Watch the next warm up. You can tell next by his haircut. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Faf's actually Faf's actually got a uh, his box. He's got two boxes um, as they are tied together, which just helps with a little bit of added protection. But 
Uh, according to a reliable source in terms of uh, Quinton de Kock, he has nicknamed his box the Beast. Good. Oh, wow. God. So, so, so that's, that's there you confidence. go. That kind of, kind of, so that is confidence. Uh, but Quinton de Kock, actually, since his uh, little run-in with uh, David Warner, has uh, really knuckled down, and his rig's uh, pretty exceptional now. I think Davey uh, might have alluded to how chubby he was and uh, might have... Might have hit a, hit a soft spot. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with that F45 uh, gyms that you run and, and do trainings at, I mean, is that is that your day job now? What what's, Yeah, it is. What's yeah, the I'm currently unemployed as a cricketer. Right. Yep, so I'm shitting bricks. My um, my last <laughs> my last man stands team is about to start training if you wanted to try out. Oh, yeah, I could do a little bit of winter training with you. Yeah, well, I mean, you would be playing with the 12,000th best cricketer in the in the country or something. Well, yeah, good. World, I'm like the 600th World, best bowler yeah. in the New Zealand. In New Zealand, oh, nice. Um, oh, but, nice. I mean, with, Enticing. with the sort of auction process and stuff, I mean, what is on your horizon? What are you feeling confident about? What are you feeling a bit iffy about? I'm not feeling confident about any of it, to be fair. I think um, what I've learned the most in the last couple of years is that it's it's a fickle game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think analysts are starting to, we talked about stats and money ball before, analysts are starting to come into the game and, and they're trying to forge a career. Um, so they're also <laughs> <laughs> looking for the next best thing, um, you know, and wanting to be known as the analyst who uncovers, uh, you know, the next was a Macrim or the next Joffrey Archer or next Rashid Khan. So there's a lot of random punters getting picked up who, who will probably do one tournament and it just means for me getting, I've probably got, got about four or five years left in my career. So mm. for me, it just means that the opportunities are going to be more limited um, because this kind of erratic auction behavior is happening. Um, but that's fine. I think it's, uh, hopefully it get picked up as a replacement in something um until then yeah i'm doing my day job up at 415 uh training people out at east tamaki and and howick um f45 and and actually i'm really enjoying it it's um been been great so far and um i think it's quite rewarding um just as with cricketing career if you're ever coaching kids or anything like that and you see them improve um, watching people achieve like even small fitness goals like getting up onto a step or you know, or, you know, or being able to do a burpee or something like that, or lose some weight, just so they can enjoy the time with their kids, is, is incredibly rewarding. I bet, I bet. Um, right. Well, that's uh, pretty much that's all we've got time for. But what we want to do quickly is give a quick shout out to a listener who sent in some very, very interesting statistics. Uh, his name's Ian Butler. But he's not the Ian Butler. He's just a guy called Ian Butler. So, Simon, do you want to go through his stats? Well, Ian, out of the blue, contacted us and described himself as an armchair producer who who appeared to uh, be very aware um, of the lack of sort of statistical support we're getting um, for the pod. But And so we really appreciate uh, Ian's contribution. Um, he was right about a lot of these things coming true too. So he said if Ross Taylor scores 10 or more runs tonight, he will become New Zealand's leading ODI run scorer. Ross scored 80. Mm-hmm. He said if Lockie Ferguson takes one wicket, he'll have 50. And that's in his 29th match, the second fastest behind Mitchell McLennigan, who did it in 23. Uh, which is which is pretty cool to have you sitting next to us. Um, if Trent Bolt takes two wickets, that will take him to 150, and that's in his 81st game, and that made him the second fastest bowler ever behind Pakistani spinner Saklan Mushtaq, 
who took 78 games to um, crack 150. And, and until then, our boy Kyle Mills uh, held the New Zealand record at 103 games. And the last one that he had was, if Colin Munro scores 100, uh, he'll shut up about how he shouldn't be in the squad. But I actually thought uh, Munro's playing a bit differently to how we imagine he plays. He seems like he's actually taking the time to get himself in and playing proper innings. It didn't come off today, but it certainly did against Sri Lanka. I know you guys are trying to wrap this up, but I kind of wish it all simmered down around Colin Munro. <laughs> uh, honestly, you just got to back the lad, eh? Yeah. Uh, he's incredibly talented, and he's and we don't have anyone else in that lineup who can take a game away from a, an opposition on any given day. So all this speculation in the media and, and all this kind of stuff around, he shouldn't be there just take it off him, take that weight off his shoulders because... Who else is going to do it? Exactly. Well, it's, well. I, it's ironic, really, isn't it? Because playing the exact same role, everyone would always say, oh, you've got to back Brendan McCullum, you've just got to it's get exactly behind exactly the it. same. I, do you know what I think is even similar? Is Before the last World Cup, um, Martin Guptill was out of form and people were searching for replacements for him where they just didn't exist. There was no one who can do what Martin does for that side. And... He went on to be the leading run scorer in the World Cup. So I think that idea of getting behind um, someone filling that hole is probably the best solution to the um, top order problem. We'll get behind him because as well, like as you saw with Baz, Baz's role was to take the pressure off Guptill in that last World Cup. Gup needs six to ten balls to get himself in if he's going to go big. So if you put someone like Henry Nichols at the top of that order, he's also going to take six to ten balls. And then Martin Guptill, who's the better player, becomes the aggressor, and that's not ideal for him making a big score. So it's also about combinations. So you've got to throw that into the equation as well. And we've seen the damage that Henry Nichols can do in the middle order now as well. So I think it's exciting. If Munro can get going, we could win. Yep, and I wouldn't mind seeing Nichols down at six in place of Jimmy Neesham or Colin de Granholm. All right. Well, uh, we will wrap it up there. Thank you so much well, to the, Tina. The last thing I wanted to do before oh, we thank Tina. One more thing. Is ask oh, Mitch Tina how my um, my rig compares to Faf Duplessis. So. I'd you imagine you've got the same. same <laughs> if you get to the end, you'll see the, tra- the six-week transformation. Um, listeners, if I can just commentate <laughs> what's happening here. Uh, our producer, Tina, is packing herself. She's covering her face up. Uh, she Beautiful. Is Thank you. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm is proud a, of myself too. Seriously, you are a cricket lover. You've definitely got a woolen vest on under that shirt. And that w- that's my last question, and then we will go. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm opening bowler for the team, clocking in at about 115. I want to add five more Ks. What do I need to be doing in the gym to uh, lift my pace? Oh, I was going to say overstep the line, probably bowl from a metre closer um, in the gym. Uh, I don't know, that rig looks like you're going all right, mate. So, uh, where where does know, speed come from? Like the legs, the ass, Hip thrusts, was, mate. Hip, hip thrusts, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it comes the I was be, doing some be, hip thrusters last week. Yeah, it'd be a good exercise to take home as well. And that's all we've got time for. So <laughs> thank you so much to Tina, our producer. Thank you so much to Coffee Supreme. Uh, and I didn't actually realize that Coffee Supreme is medicinal, but I feel heaps better after a couple of cups. I have to spend the whole day at work now having been awake since 12.30 uh, last night. So good luck to me. Wouldn't be able to do it without Coffee Supreme. You'll be fine. And thank you as well to Mitchell McLennigan, 
uh, for coming in and, and spending quite a bit longer. Uh, it's by far our longest episode to date. But uh, you know what? I, I think we've learned a lot about cricket today. Right, cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.